Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. And you're here. Thanks for choosing the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Your quest for podcasts of the paranormal, supernatural, and the unexplained ends here. We invite you to enjoy all our shows we have on this network. And right now, let's Let's start start with with Shades of the Afterlife with Sandra Champlain. Welcome to our podcast. Please be aware the thoughts and opinions expressed by the host are their thoughts and opinions only and do not reflect those of iHeartMedia, iHeartRadio, Coast to Coast AM, employees of Premier Networks, or their sponsors and associates. We would like to encourage you to do your own research and discover the subject matter for yourself. Hi, I'm Sandra Champlain. For almost 25 years, I've been on a journey to prove the existence of life after death. On each episode, we'll discuss the reasons we now know that our loved ones have survived physical death. And so will we. Welcome to Shades of the Afterlife. I've got a big smile on my face and I was laughing just now. We all have people in our life that love us and support us, but when we start talking about life after death, sometimes one eyebrow goes up and they think we're a little crazy. Well, I was one of those people beginning my journey thinking anybody who spoke about this was a little crazy. So picture this, I'm here in my mom's house right now, and she asked me, oh, what are you going to do for your next episode? Of course, she loves and supports me. So I thought I'd tell her, well, I thought I'd call it Storytime with Sandra. And I've got three books in front of me, which I'll tell you about in just a second. But I told her about physical mediumship, some of the stories. And when I do, she thinks I'm a little bit out there. So when I described what I want to do the show about today, I got one of those looks. Yes, I certainly did. And I know she loves and supports me. She wants me to be happy. But I just turned around and left her room with a smile. Unless you experience things for yourself, it is so difficult to believe things are real. So I understand it. You know, I follow some people and what they're up to, and some of it just seems so far out there that I don't give it any credibility. But then there's other stories that I think, you know what, I've got to investigate this. So today, the three books I have in front of me, one is On the Edge of the Etheric, and it was written in 1931 by Arthur Finley. And Arthur Finley is someone you may have heard of the Arthur Finley College in the UK. It's a place where 
mediums go to be trained and it's got a really big history, really beautiful old property. Even Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who gave up writing Sherlock Holmes, got involved and was at this wonderful place in Stansted, UK, to participate in these physical medium seances is the word. Now, seance means meeting, but a lot of us have a spooky connotation with it. People gathered around in a circle holding hands in the dark and voices come out of nowhere. Well, some of that is actually true, believe it or not. And it's not as spooky as it sounds, though. Another book I have in front of me is Alec Harris, the full story of his remarkable physical mediumship. And it was written by his wife, Louie Harris. And Alec Harris is someone who never, ever believed in mediumship and those sort of things. And his wife would go to these meetings, church meetings. You know, she made light of them. And he started wondering, you know, what is she really doing? I don't know if he questioned an affair or not, but he was curious as to what really happens at these meetings. So he tagged along once and he found out it was mediumship. Well, Alec Harris ended up becoming one of the most famous, most well-known mediums in the day and probably in history for some of the things that would happen. The third book I have is called A History of Ghosts, The True Story of Seances, Mediums, Ghosts, and Ghostbusters. And it was written by Peter Aykroyd, who is the father of Dan Aykroyd, who wrote the movie Ghostbusters. Now, Peter's grandfather would hold these meetings, and I don't know how aware he was as a boy, and so I want to read to you a little bit from the beginning. But in it, people would become alive again. People would have their voices heard. And so the Aykroyd family completely believes in spiritualism, which is a religion based on the survival of the afterlife. And with that, in their household, there were plenty of stories told of these seances and people becoming alive again. And this substance that was a vapor-like substance that would exude from a medium's body and the deceased people could step into it with their etheric body and become real again. Well, the substance was called ectoplasm. So with that, young Dan had those seeds planted and ended up making the comedy Ghostbusters. Now, as hard as it is for people to get their mind around some of these things, the basics of mediumship that we know now, which is called evidential mediumship, all started because of this physical mediumship back in the day, back in the late 1800s, I believe it started, maybe mid to late 1800s and into the 1900s. On one of the earlier episodes, I got a clip of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle talking about what he experienced. We've also talked to physical medium Scott Milligan. And although the clips I have for you as part of Shades of the Afterlife, are on his trance mediumship. He is one of the top physical mediums in the world. Trance mediumship is when someone quiets their mind and allows someone from the spirit world to speak through them. And we witness that every Friday online. And you're always welcome to join. You don't have to pay a penny. You can come and be my guest. Just go to wedontdie.com and look at the store. You'll find all the details there. 
I've witnessed physical mediumship myself probably two dozen times, I would say. Scott Milligan is the main medium that I have sat with. Also, Stuart Alexander, who's always says he's about to retire and never quite does. And another fellow I sat with a couple of times, his name is David Thompson. But Scott is the one that I know the most about. I've heard so many of his stories and they're really wonderful. And while I myself have not witnessed people with my eyes speaking from the afterlife, I have heard their voices, I have felt their touch, and there's no way somebody's going to convince me that there was trickery going on. So I know a skeptical mind can say, oh, this is so hard to believe. And a lot of stuff, I agree. When it seems too good to be true, it probably is. So I know in this episode, I'm not going to convince you of anything, nor am I trying. But I want you to sit back relax, and just enjoy some of these stories. So we're going to start out with Peter Aykroyd's book, A History of Ghosts, The True Story of Seances, Mediums, Ghosts, and Ghostbusters. We are going to start by the foreword by Dan Aykroyd. People often ask me how I came to write Ghostbusters. The truth is that in the early 1900s, my family was part of a worldwide cultural and social phenomena driven by a wish to make contact with spirits of the dead, whether the dead wanted it or not. My great-grandfather, Samuel Augustus Aykroyd, presided over his home circle, and the sitters had their very own medium, Walter Ashurst, whom they believed acted as a conduit to many and varied afterworld personalities. Whether one believes in this kind of thing or not, my family was then and is now not alone in such pursuits. Thousands of people in Western society regularly hold seances and support mediums. Around the beginning of the 20th century, mediums and their subsequent investigators became big stars and spiritualism took on a distinct show business aspect. Were they fakes? Hoaxes? Many to be sure, and some would say they were all tricks. But Baron Albert von Schrenk-Notzing, the German ectoplasm hunter, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, writer of the Sherlock Holmes detective series, and Sir Oliver Lodge, eminent scientist and philosopher, were men who held the hope that someday natural science might rationally encompass the supernatural as a proven fact. Levitations, apports, apparitions, limbs complete with hair, skin, and bones, instantly growing out of living people. Plasmic material molded into real tissue impressions of faces and bodies. These were things seen by witnesses, skeptics, and believers alike. Were these mere spectacles achieved by artificial devices? or some of them simply part of a reality that exists beyond our sensible understanding. Part of Ghostbusters' appeal derives from the cold, rational acceptance of the phantasmic as routine tone that Bill Murray, Harold Ramis, director Ivan Rittman, and I were able to sustain in the movie. This element originated from my great-grandfather's interest in the subject and from the books he collected. He bequeathed these to his son, 
my grandfather Maurice, the Bell Telephone engineer who actually queried his colleagues about the possibility of constructing a high-vibration crystal radio as a mechanical method for contacting the spirit world. His son, my father, as a child witnessed seances and kept the family books on the subject. My brother Peter and I read them avidly and became lifelong supporters of the American Society for Psychical Research. And from all of this, Ghostbusters got made. My daughters are now up on the subject, and one of them, we have found, seems to affect photographs. Glops of light and other shapes surround her when pictures are taken in and around the old family farmhouse. The children will have to make their own decisions about the verity and value of psychic studies. Their grandfather's book, A History of Ghosts, will surely assist them. It is an objective as any serious seeker of the truth about alleged paranormal activities could wish. Both believers and non-believers will, first, be highly entertained and then surprisingly enlightened by these stories of real empiricists chasing ghosts. And that's written by Dan Aykroyd. Before I go into reading the next part, I just want to tell you something. These stories come from people that have been long dead. And it's very easy for us living in the 2000s to think, well, it happened long ago. These things must be fake or didn't really happen. Here's the thing. The people that got involved in this were doctors, scientists, some of the smartest minds at the time. So there was a lot of investigation to make sure that all this is real. So let's take our break and then we'll be back. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Don't go anywhere. There's more Shades of the Afterlife coming right up. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger, talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com shades today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot shades. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. 
This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. The Art Bell Vault never disappoints. Classic audio at your fingertips. Go now to coasttocoastam.com for full details. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. The best afterlife information you can get while you're alive. Shades of the Afterlife with Sandra Champlain. Welcome back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain, and we are doing story time with Sandra. Our first is going to be from A History of Ghosts, The True Story of Seances, Mediums, Ghosts, and Ghostbusters. Now, this first part is the prologue written by Peter Aykroyd from what he remembered being young. May 12th, 1929, Sydenham, Ontario, Canada. Four cars, all black, all polished for their trip from town, roll down the long lane to the farmhouse, the crunch of gravel beneath the tires momentarily silencing the birds. Dust settles on the gleaming finishes of the automobiles, and they pull up beside the farmhouse, parking randomly on the grass. There are four men in three-piece suits with well-shined shoes, the women, four of them as well, all in black with stylish hats. The faces are familiar. I have seen them before. At church or in town, these people always have something friendly to say to me. But from here, in my hiding place among the newly budding lilac bushes, they appear unapproachable. Their minds are on something else. I slip unobserved across the lawn to the back of the house and toward the outside cellar entrance. The cellar stairs are damp, and as I pull open one side of the heavy horizontal doors, I smell the rich, loamy scent of ripened apples. The rest of the family is puzzled by my mode of entry, but I am quite content entering the house this way. It gives me access to the experiences I might otherwise miss. At a young age, I am curious as they come. I cross the cellar 
which is dimly lit by the slanting sunlight entering through the outside door. I climb up the inside cellar stairs and kneel patiently on the top, waiting. The cellar door is open a crack. From here, I can see the kitchen in one direction and, in the other, the fireplace and the table in the parlor. I can hear the voice emanating from the radio. It is crisp and clear as it delivers the news. I lean forward. I can see the front door and the veranda. I shift my position to see if anyone has entered yet, but apparently the people in the driveway are enjoying the last rays of the spring sun, the scent of lilacs, and the sounds of birdsong. My grandfather is sitting in his usual chair by the fireplace, attent upon hearing every last word the newscaster has to say on the radio. Grandpa grunts and snaps the radio dial, silencing it. People these days can't seem to tolerate one moment without entertainment, he mutters. Moving toward the square table in the center of the room, he adjusts the silk cloth in his center, says something to one of the young, dark-haired men, and says, It is time, my dear. He turns and walks out the front door and stands on the veranda, his hands clasped loosely behind his back. The mantle clock is ticking. I can hear the young man's soft, rhythmic breathing as the grown-up scent of cigarettes drifts towards me. The group, with Grandpa bringing up the rear, enters the farmhouse. They are chatting quietly. Once in the parlor, they are greeted by Grandma, a plump, smiling lady. I see that she is also dressed in black, as if for a funeral. As the fresh breeze wafts through the house, it brings another scent to me. The distinct aroma of freshly baked bread. And sure enough, through the crack of the doorknob, I can see two pans of buns glistening and the homemade butter warming at the back of the wood stove. My mouth begins to water, but my attention is drawn away from my already full stomach. Grandpa has invited the guests to be seated, and I must alter my position for a better view. I sense that it is important for me to see but remain unseen, for I am supposed to be in my bedroom preparing for bed. The unlit coil lamp stands on the sideboard, waiting to do its part when dusk turns to dark. I wedge myself carefully between the wall and the inside of the cellar door, sliding silently to a seated position. Comfort will be crucial. It will be a long night. The drapes are drawn, but there is still a faint light in the room. As the guests file into the parlor, they nod significantly to the seated man and take their places leaving vacant the chairs on either side of the young man. Once the guests are seated, Grandma takes to the chair to the young man's left. Grandpa follows and occupies the last chair to the young man's right. For the first time, I notice that the young man is dressed differently from the others. His attire is far more casual, an open-collar work shirt and a cardigan. Grandpa begins to speak. Please hold hands around the table. Try to think positive thoughts. Pray silently if you wish. The young man stubs out his cigarette. He leans back, closes his eyes, and slips into a trance. In the deafening pin-drop silence, it is as if some curtain is about to rise. But the show is an unusual one. These guests have not traveled from town to see a play or concert. This is a meeting of Dr. Aykroyd's circle. A seance is about to begin and the people present 
are here to engage in an unusual form of communication. They have come from town to talk to the dead. Just as we're at the edge of our seat, Peter Ackroyd starts chapter one. It's called Ghosts at Home, the Home Circle. I'll just read a couple of pages. The sights and sounds of that afternoon scene came tumbling back to me one mild winter afternoon more than 50 years later. My sister Judy and I had taken on the task of clearing out the family home in Toronto the place where my grandfather, Samuel Ackroyd, DDS, had spent the last days of his life. The house at 9 Garfield Avenue had been sold, and Judy and I had taken a weekend out of our own busy schedules to decide who would get what, what would go to auction, and what would be donated to the Salvation Army. The rest would go to the dump. We had kept the dark basement for last. Several items that were seen as childhood treasures had been located upstairs. Memorabilia and photos, ancient jewelry, original artworks, and a few rare books. We were not terribly excited about what could possibly be lurking in the dark wasteland below stairs. With the last drops of a Manhattan made from bonded stock rye warming our insides, we had already made several trips up and down the stairs. Next to the furnace, in a corner of what was once the coal storage bin, we came upon our last load. Most of what we found was destined for the landfill. Old suitcases with jagged zippers and broken handles that proved they had been to more places than most people. Empty cardboard boxes, a stained mattress from a twin bed. And in the back, against a wall, an old blue metal trunk with the dedication of two people who felt duty-bound to thoroughly examine everything in their care, Judy and I pried open the rusted metal clasp with a screwdriver. We had expected to find either junk or emptiness. Instead, we found history. Inside were a photo album of black and white prints attached with triangular corner mounts and yellowed newspapers from decades back, saved for articles germane to the family. There was a scrapbook of recipes and our father's sheepskin from Queen's University, Applied Science 1913, and a bundle of notebooks of the type that children used in school. They were bound together with kitchen twine. We untied the bundle and began to read page after page of penciled handwriting. With no anticipation of doing so, we had come across Grandpa's journals, 83 of them to be precise, written in his own hand from 1905 through 1931, containing thoughts, observations, and conjectures that he clearly had hoped might someday be shared with others. Within the now fragile pages were handwritten copies of letters to his family and friends and to the editors of local newspapers. The majority of the words he recorded are actual accounts of seances, most of which took place in the small farmhouse on the north shore of Lowborough Lake, near the village of Sydenham, Ontario. Other passages are his musings over what it's all about. The notes and letters aid my remembrances of the elderly gentleman who lived in that farmhouse, where I spent many gloriously happy days and nights. In my mind's eye, I can still see him in his faded blue shirt and baggy tweed pants, 
sitting on the bank of the lake with his feet just over the edge of the dock, jotting his thoughts into a child's notebook with his Dixon HB pencil. My grandfather created in me a lifetime interest in the paranormal, an interest that has proved to be enormously engaging and fun. I have passed it on to my sons, Dan and Peter, and it also resulted in a television series and movies, which have been most fun of all. In 1984, the year of Ghostbusters release, it became the most successful comedy in film history. To date, it has been seen by over a billion people, and it was absolutely and directly derived from the blue trunk. I hope Grandpa knows what fun he started. Everything I've read to you thus far is only in the first 14 pages of the book. So there's a lot more. But what I want to do in our next segment together is I want to give you some really juicy stories from the Alec Harris book. But before I do, and before I leave you, in the book, A History of Ghosts by Peter Aykroyd, he talks about home circles. He talks about the history of mediumship and all of these fascinating pioneers, how it started, what it is, more about ectoplasm, all the doctors and the scientists involved, and even what happened within the home circle of the grandfathers. In fact, it is said that between 1921 and 1933, in the Dr. Aykroyd's notebooks, there were no fewer than 80 seances held. You'll also be happy to know that the young Peter Aykroyd was able to go into the seance room. On one night peeking in, he hit a broom that fell and created a whole bunch of noise. The medium was entranced and a very bemused voice called out in a Bella Lugosi style eeriness. Would the young gentleman in the cellarway care to join this circle? And so happy to report he did. So when we come back, we're going to hear about another circle of Alec Harris. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Don't go anywhere. There's more Shades of the Afterlife coming right up. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. 
She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's the Wizard of Weird, Joshua P. Warren. Don't forget to check out my show, Strange Things, each week as I bring you the world of the truly amazing and bizarre right here on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's reality podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring bit. out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. And now more Sandra on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Welcome back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain, and we're going to move on to another book. This one's called Alec Harris, The Full Story of His Remarkable Physical Mediumship by his wife, Louis Harris. It's a story about how a young man, skeptical of all things psychic, became one of the world's most brilliant materialization mediums. Alec and Louis Harris were married for 46 years, and 40 of those years until his passing in 1974, they were devoted to bringing hope, comfort, and enlightenment to countless people. In the book, Louis tells of her husband's development of trance, direct voice, healing, and after six years of work with their spirit team of people solidly materializing in red light. Included in the book are wonderful accounts of families reuniting across the veil of death and old friends coming back in to talk with each other in many languages that were unknown to Alec. 
I also want to just paint the picture of what one of these home circles looks like. It's inside a room with lots of curtains or drapes around the windows so that no light shines in, typically held at nighttime. The medium, who is Alec Harris in this case, is in a corner of a room and there is a black curtain in front of him. So they call that a cabinet. So the energy can build up for the spirit world to use Alec's energy to produce things. When the medium sits for physical mediumship, their eyes are closed, and they're pretty much knocked out. They are in a trance-like state. They most likely have no idea of what is going on, because the spirit people are blending with their energies and using them. The first story I'm going to share in our story time here begins in chapter six. Now, the first part of the book was talking about Louis Harris, her beliefs, her interests, falling in love with her husband, how her brother, Ted, became a spiritualist. He became a medium. And that was really frowned on in the family because, you know, people thought mediums in the afterlife was crazy. But after two years of him being a medium, and his sister doing some work to start attending the things he was attending, she herself got wrapped up in spiritualism. She would tell white lies to her husband, Alec, that she was going to these meetings. And one day he wanted to attend a meeting. And long story short, he became one of these mediums. Now, where we're going to go in this first story is he is a trance medium. So he knows the spirit world is working through him and talking through him, but the physical manifestations hadn't taken place yet. This is one of the first times where the spirit world actually does some physical things to him. On Christmas night, 1939, Phyllis and I suggested to Alec that we should have a circle, thinking it would be nice to exchange greetings with many of our friends in the spirit world. To our surprise, Alec readily agreed. He usually had to be coaxed to give any extra circles. Being an unwilling convert to spiritualism, he was never very keen on spending long periods in trance. Before he could change his mind, we quickly hung a curtain across the room to form a cabinet. Alec was placed inside, and at his request, we tied his hands and feet. My mother had already gone to bed. The fire was very low, and we screened its glow as best we could. In our haste, we had not darkened the windows completely, and being a moonlit night, the soft beams filtered into the room, so that we were able to see much better than usual. No sooner had Alec lapsed into trance than Iwanga said, We are going to try an experiment tonight. Please tie string around each of the knots in the cord binding the medium. Make them extra secure. We ask you to do this so that the medium, when he wakes, will have no doubts what had taken place was indeed the work of spirit and no one else. It will be a feat that no human entity could perform. Then, with a note of amusement in his voice, he added, Also have your long coat ready. Please secure the knots now. Puzzled, we set to work on the cord, making a very good job of it. This done, Phyllis and I took our places and began to sing carols. I forgot to mention, singing builds energy for manifestations to occur. 
This done, Phyllis and I took our places and began to sing carols. After a moment, Yoakum joined us with his beautiful, deep, musical voice. Then the spirit children added their voices in beautiful harmony. Then two voices could be heard singing together. We had a lovely Christmas party. Yoakum and the children entertained us throughout the evening, making amusing remarks to keep us in fits of laughter. The moon later became very bright. By its lights, the trumpets were clearly visible in their entirety, not just the luminous areas painted around the edges. The curtains forming the cabinet did not quite reach to the floor. I saw beneath them a white, semi-transparent substance billowing along the floor. My stomach constricted with excitement as I realized that a materialization was probably forming. Phyllis was very still. She had also seen this substance, and we waited expectantly for developments. After a while, two spirit arms projected from the cabinet, holding a shoe in each hand. One shoe was placed on my lap and the other on Phyllis's. Next, Alex's belt and jumper were laid alongside the shoes. As this was taking place, I again experienced a feeling of extreme cold. My body temperature dropped to the point where I was shivering. Then a deep droning hum could be heard from the cabinet, and Adula announced himself. He was producing the same powerful, resonant vibration that he emitted at the healing circles, and I felt much relieved. Suddenly, we heard Alec, whom we had bound with cords, rise from his chair. The curtains parted, and he stepped out of the cabinet, to be greeted by our shocked exclamations. He was now also minus his trousers. I promptly jumped up and protectively draped my winter coat around him, as it was cold in the room now, and the fire was only in embers. He came out of trance and glancing down at his state of undress, no trousers, belt, shoes, or jersey, he wrinkled his brow in puzzlement and exclaimed, What's going on here? What happened? We quickly switched on the light and drew aside the cabinet curtains. Phyllis, Alec, and I stood in shocked silence, unable to believe our eyes. There, sitting in the chair, just as if Alec's body was still inside them, with the ropes still securely binding them, were his trousers. Impossible, Alec said. He glanced down at his lower torso to confirm that he really was without his trousers. It's amazing, he added. I can't understand it. So this shows the spirit world definitely have a sense of humor. I'm going to fast forward in the book a couple of years, and this is in 1942, after Alec started having materializations of people stepping into the ectoplasm and in the room with the people with the red light on. Here we go. In 1942, we were still giving voice circles at our spiritualist church on a Friday. One night, I felt the presence of a young soldier who was trying very hard to communicate, but having no success. I sensed his bitter disappointment at this failure. When the circle ended, I was drawn to a woman who looked very strained. I felt like she was on the edge of a breakdown. I approached her asking if she would like to come to our circle on Sunday. At this point, the presence of the young soldier came very close, and I knew that he had come for her. On the night the lady presented herself, I placed her in the front row. We always sat in two rows, close to the cabinet. 
Shortly after we began, a young lad stepped from the cabinet. He held out his arms to the woman crying and said, Mom, it's Derry. She gave an anguished cry, jumped from her seat, and went to the boy. He put his arms around her. The mother broke down and wept in her dead son's arms, releasing much of her tensions over the past months. The boy gently comforted his mother, saying he was always with her. Then he changed the subject and quite unexpectedly said, Mom, I want you to be quite sure that this is really me. Look, I've still got it. See? He took her hand and placed it on his chest. Can you feel it, Mum? He asked. He had had a deformed breastbone, which his family had laughingly called his chicken bone. To give his mother positive proof of his identity, he materialized his deformity to convince her. There was not a dry eye among us as we witnessed this beautiful and touching reunion of a lonely, grieving mother with her dead son. I have another short story here. Okay, this is a story of a gentleman who was at one of these seances. There appeared to be what seemed to be a white rod which thrust itself along the floor from under the cabinet curtains. It moved as if it were alive. The end began to enlarge into a ball until there was a mass of moving, pulsating ectoplasm about the size of a large stone. It became elongated vertically until it was the height of a human being. Gradually, as if it was being sculptured, there appeared a face and then a head. Soon the form was completely human, clothed in ectoplasmic draperies. The materialized spirit began to walk around the room and was able to speak to us. As the power waned, we saw the spirit dissolve and collapse into an empty space. Then occurred the most wonderful and beautiful manifestation of the entire seance. A charming Spanish girl gracefully glided through the curtains and enthralled us with a dancing display. It was fascinating to watch her elegant movements. As she turned quickly on her toes, the hem of her billowing white dress flicked on my cheek. It felt as soft as gossamer. Now we have to go into our last break, but you better believe me that I am most definitely going to tell you some more stories when we get back. All right. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. The Coast to Coast AM mobile app is here and waiting for you right now. With the app, you can hear classic shows from the past seven years, listen to the current live show, and get access to the Art Bell Vault where you can listen to uninterrupted audio. So head on over to the coasttocoastam.com website. We have a handy video guide to help you get the most out of your mobile app usage. All the info is waiting for you now at coasttocoastam.com. That's coasttocoastam.com. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, 
all things popular culture. culture. And a little bit of Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. It, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm George Norrie. Thank you for listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey folks, we need your music. Hey, it's producer Tom at Coast to Coast AM and every first Sunday of the month, we play music from emerging artists just like you. If you're a musician or a singer and have recorded music you'd like to submit, it's very easy. Just go to coasttocoastam.com, click the Emerging Artist banner in the carousel, follow the instructions, and we just might play your music on the air. Go now to coasttocoastam.com to send us your recording. That's coasttocoastam.com. Welcome 
back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain, and we are having story time with Sandra. Currently, I'm reading some things from the book Alec Harris, the full story of his remarkable physical mediumship. Probably my top favorite book on physical mediumship. I read it cover to cover many times, and so I'm just reading some snippets out of it today for you. So, let me see where we should go on this particular occasion. Oh, this is 1955. Louis and Alec Harris go to visit some friends in the Isle of Man. And she writes, It was April and a delightful time of year to be in the Isle of Man. Our reunion with Sally and John had been a happy one. John informed us that a certain medical man of international repute and one with extraordinary powers of his own had expressed a wish to meet us. He wanted to witness spirit materialization through Alec's mediumship, of which he had heard excellent reports. His name is Dr. Sir Alexander Cannon, said John. He is a great friend of mine. He is the author of several most fascinating books. I'd like you both to meet him, and perhaps you will give him a sitting. Sir Alexander said he had long waited to sit with Alec, and so we formed a circle. It proved to be a very good circle. The highlight of the evening was the materialization of Mahatma Gandhi, who came especially for Sir Alexander. The little Indian holy man was exactly as he had been on earth. He was painfully thin, almost emaciated, through many long fasts. Gandhi wore his customary loincloth and the well-remembered steel-rimmed spectacles. He conversed at length with Sir Alexander in Hindustani, a language familiar to the doctor, but certainly not to Alec. Our eminent sitter was very impressed with the manifestation, particularly at the accuracy of detail of the materialized form and the timbre of his voice. Sir Alexander knew Mahatma Gandhi extremely well. Gandhi's conversing in his vernacular tongue was even more convincing evidence as far as he was concerned. But the doctor was to have further indisputable evidence. Two Tibetan monks materialized. They conversed with him in a little-known Tibetan tongue. Sir Alexander was one of the few white people in the world who could understand this Tibetan language. He was highly satisfied with what he had seen and what he had heard. A London Sunday newspaper was investigating the subject of spiritualism. Some disbeliever had written in that newspaper that the whole concept of life after death and the return to earth of spirits was a lot of rubbish. He had stated categorically that no one ever came back from the dead. In other words, once you were dead, you stayed dead. Dick was incensed at the bleak picture portrayed by this writer. Mediumship in general had been openly discredited, and he felt that Alec's work had been denigrated. He promptly took up his pen and wrote to the newspaper, vehemently defending spiritualism, which he avowed had proved that life definitely continued after death. He proceeded to give an account of his many experiences in the Alec Harris seance room. His letter in the Sunday edition painted so realistic a picture of literally hundreds of occasions when he had shaken hands with spirit entities who appeared as if in the flesh. 
and of how he had intelligent conversations with them, that it immediately brought two reporters to his door at breakfast time the next morning. They wished to investigate this remarkable circle on behalf of their paper and asked if they might be included in a sitting. Poor Dick was now in a quandary. On joining our circle, he had given an undertaking not to broadcast what took place in our seances for fear of unpleasant repercussions from possible belligerent disbelievers or over-enthusiastic investigators. Now you've put me in a fix, he said. This will probably get me thrown out of the circle. That's the last thing I want. When they showed no sign of retreating, he decided that he had better bring them down to me. After meeting them, I consulted with Alec, who gave consideration and a searching appraisal of the gentleman, gave his approval to these two strangers being included among the sitters at the next circle the next evening. I told them it would be our private circle and urged them to refrain from taking any alcohol. I received a firm promise that they would comply with this request. I silently prayed that it would be a satisfactory circle. One can never guarantee how a circle will turn out. We are entirely in the hands of those on the other side. Fortunately, it was a good seance. My mother came fully materialized and was recognized by the two reporters who had seen her photograph before going into the sanctuary. When Kitty, our saucy little child spirit, showed herself with two braids hanging down either side of her face, one of the gentlemen remarked, You're a pretty girl. How old are you? To which she pertly replied, It's very rude to ask a lady her age, which raised a laugh all around. Alec, Dick, and I breathed a sigh of relief when a good report of our circle appeared at the next Sunday's edition of the paper. Dick, however, vowed that he would be more careful in the future how he defended spiritualism. Now, this is a short story from March 1957, when Alec and Louie went to South Africa. About four weeks after our arrival in Durban, I suddenly had a depressed feeling about our cat, Bobby. I told Alec that I was sure that there was something very wrong with him. I kept seeing his dear little face rise up before me, and I became very anxious about his well-being. No amount of soothing on Alec's part made me feel any better. The next Tuesday, when we had our circle, Phyllis touched my arm, saying, Lou, I can see a Persian cat walking around the room. Phyllis herself was very psychic. Just then, the scientist guide emerged from the cabinet, carrying something under his robe. He came right up to me, and as he turned, I saw a bushy tail protruding from under the arm of his robe. A sudden fear clutched at my heart, and I asked, Is that a cat you have there, sir? He did not answer, but returned with the bundle to the cabinet. Six days later, we had a letter from Auntie Thomas saying that dear Bobby had passed away. In spite of all the loving care that had been given to him, he apparently pined for us and died of a broken heart on that very Tuesday that the scientist had brought him to the circle. When I asked that spirit at the next circle if it was indeed my cat Bobby he had brought with him, he replied, who else? He wanted to come see his mother. I suffered terrible pains of guilt at having forsaken him, for he was just like a baby to me, giving me so much love. 
but once he went to spirit, I always felt him close to me. There were many instances of animal materialization in our seances. My niece's cat was once placed on her lap, and she was able to stroke its soft fur. While a doctor's wife pet, Siamese cat, Ming, materialized, giving the characteristic hoarse Siamese cry, and then proceeded to brush itself against her legs and clawed at her shoe. After the seance, the claw marks were still visible on the suede material of the shoe. Our dog materialized to us in South Africa. He came wagging his tail, barked, and licked my hand, at which a spirit voice from somewhere above the cabinet warned, Do not touch the dog. To which I replied, I did not touch him. He touched me. Then I saw the little body become transparent, and the animal slowly dematerialized. The other sitters in the room were fascinated by this unusual manifestation. Alec Harris worked for 40 years as a physical medium, and over the course of these many years, thousands of loved ones would rematerialize, walk out of the cabinet, and actually be seen and their loved ones could hear them. To me, the stories are so precious of these reunions. How can you not believe? But living in 2022, as I record this, it's really hard to believe. We're trained to be skeptical, which is probably a good thing. And in truth, physical mediumship was very, very big back in the day. But the charlatans and the con artists got involved and started charging huge sums of money, saying that they could bring through people's loved ones. And of course, with the wars going on, people paid the money, hoping to connect. These mediums like Alec Harris only charged a very, very small fee, just so he and Louis could live their life, you know, pay the bills. For me, the physical medium that I'm closest to is Scott Milligan. And for the past couple years, the virus has shut down everything. But just prior to, we were doing live events and held some seances. And although they happened in the dark with the occasional red light going on, I didn't see people. But like I said at the beginning, I felt them and I could hear them. And I could hear them speaking to their loved ones. Nothing I can convince you of, nor would I try in this episode. I didn't get an opportunity to get into On the Edge of the Etheric by Arthur Finley, but it's definitely a good read, and he talks about his medium, Mr. John Sloan. I've done several live Q&A sessions with Scott Milligan, and he has some amazing stories of physical mediumship. My favorite is when a young woman came out of the cabinet, introduced herself to him as his older sister, Emma. And upon returning to his home, he asked his mom if she had had a child before. And sure enough, there was a baby girl named Emma. I have so much more to tell you, but we don't have any time until the next episode. And if this episode has made a difference for you, let me know, will you? My email is sandrachamplain at gmail.com and come join us on one of our free events at wedontdie.com. So in closing, my name is Sandra Champlain. I'm always so happy to be your host. You've been listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. 
And if you like this episode of Shades of the Afterlife, wait until you hear the next one. Thank you for listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network.